Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the Word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Verse number five, for every man shall bear his own burden. A burden is your load. Every day we have burdens in this life. We have a load that we have to carry. We have to make money. We have to pay bills. We have responsibilities within our marriage, within our children, within our families. And to some extent, or at least for right now, we're going to say that this is called personal responsibility. You have a a burden, bear it. It's called personal responsibility. One of the problems that we get into, though, and we're into in a mess, in a hot mess in this country, is that we compare ourselves to other people. And after we're done comparing ourselves to everyone else, then we say, well, we're successful or we're not successful. We base our success by looking at what others have or don't have. And our success spiritually, at least in this verse, is how we bear our own burden before God and before men. Honestly, we need to stand up straight. We need to have our shoulders back. We need to have our chin up. We need to be able to bear our own burden, take our own personal responsibility, and measure our success before God and before men based on how we bear what we've got instead of comparing to other people. In the military, I'm not a military man. I know some military men, but they have their own military pack. That military pack is their burden. They're not carrying somebody else's pack. They're carrying their own pack. They all learn personal responsibility. I'm not carrying yours. You're not carrying mine. We got our own military pack. We got our own burden on our back. We're carrying look at verse number two. We'll just go back a little bit. The Bible says in verse two in chapter six, bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. We already preached on this, but when there's an overwhelming out of the ordinary burden, that's different. That's different. In the military, when you rush to someone else's aid, it's because they have a verse two burden. It's an overwhelming, out-of-the-ordinary burden. Down on the square, there's you'll see this weekend, there's pictures of military men that have given their lives for our country. Hospital corpsman, third-class Larry Conley of the U.S. Navy. He was killed in action, running to aid a fellow Marine. A burden that he would bear, and it cost him his life. His life is one of the lives of many 
that has secured at least our freedom here in the United States. We're thankful for that. James Lewis of the U.S. Navy, speeding to aid another patrol boat, was hit by a rocket and was killed in action in South Vietnam. These are men from Putnam County, county that we live in, gave their lives so that our freedom can be secured here in the United States. What is that? That's there's a burden, and that military man runs to the aid of a fellow military man to save their life. And in doing that, gives up their own. Jesus said in Matthew 11, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, meaning it shouldn't be a burdensome thing to follow Jesus. If it's wearing you out to follow the Lord, maybe you need to go before God and get some things figured out or checked out. But it shouldn't be burdensome to follow the Lord. In Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 6. It goes on to say, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Here's the first command we get in these passages of scripture this morning. You are responsible to share blessings with the teachers of the word. And I guess for this morning's sake, that would be me. <laughs> I teach the word. Uh, it's called common, common fellowship, meaning don't keep it to yourself. My son, he, gave, he came up to me after the Lord's Supper this morning. And he said, now, Dad, look at this verse. That's an example of Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 in action. Look at this verse. This is a good one we should use for the Lord's Supper. So that is good, son. That is good. I haven't looked at that verse in a while. Let's do that for the next one. That's sharing. Those that communicate the word, share with them so they can get a blessing. It says in that verse, look at the end of verse six. In all good things. Does that mean all? All means all. Share things that would benefit the preacher. It'll help them. It'll help them. I remember uh, I did a message one time on uh, alcohol in the Bible. And uh, it, was a, it was a good message, I thought, about because you don't, it's, it's a good message only because you don't hear it preached a lot. God's against drinking alcohol. <laughs> and uh, Tom, he gave me a book uh, that evening or that next Sunday. He gave me a book. He said, uh, oh, I think you'll really like this one. And it was a book that talked about you know, fermentation and all, yeah, all these verses. It was, it was a really good read. What is that? That's somebody applying verse number six to the teachers of the word of God. It's, that's a blessing to, to me. The Bible says in Luke chapter one, why don't we change? Well, let's, let's turn there. Luke chapter one. In Luke chapter 1, verse number 53, the Bible says, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. There's many ways that the Bible says you can support a preacher or, in the scripture, him that teacheth. You can support him financially, you can support him prayerfully, but you can also support him. In all good things, share with him things that would be a blessing. In other words, communicate 
good things. That's a good thing to do. All right, let's get back to Galatians chapter 6. We're on the next verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7. Look what the Bible says. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Here's our second command in these passages of Scripture. Stop being deceived. Stop being deceived. As I think and try to remember some of these men that has given their lives, at least for our country. Think of Corporal Augusto Jose Garcia from the U.S. Marines. He was he was on patrol. While his life was ended by a landmine in South Vietnam, he was only 26 years old. I think of Private First Class Ricky Medlin of the U.S. Army. He was accidentally shot when his buddy was cleaning his M16 rifle. He was only 19 years old. You know what that is? That's deception. You don't see the landmine. That's why they, Vietnam put it out there. You're walking, doing your patrol, trying to keep everybody safe, doing your duty. Boom. Deception got you. Cleaning an M16 rifle. None of us know the details, but some type of deception snuck in and boom, there it goes. The command here in Galatians chapter six is to stop being deceived. What was the problem that the Galatians were having? They were going back to lawism. They were going back to keeping the law as being tied to their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is reminding them, you might kid your, you might kid you, <laughs> you might kid yourself, you might kid others, but make no mistake about it. You're not going to kid God because God is not mocked. Be not deceived about that. And the problem with modern day Christianity today is they mock God. They mock God. They have churches that are embracing homosexuality. They have churches that are marrying a man and a man and a woman and a woman. They mock what God stands for. They refuse to preach against sin. They refuse to look at the world and preach against the world and be separate from the world. Instead, they just conform to the world. They embrace the world. They bring the world into the church and say, look at all that we've done. It is a mockery of God's truth. They mock God, but God himself cannot be mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked because the reality of truth is always found where? In the word of God. You'll always find it. And people that mock the word of truth and mock our God only make fools of themselves. And they're going to suffer horrible consequences. When you mock God's design, when you mock God's truth, you'll suffer dire consequences. We're starting to see those consequences worldwide. We certainly can see them nationwide. What happens when somebody mocks God's truth? That's why the Bible says, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
none of us can get away from this this truth principle. If you were to sow Kentucky 31 grass seed, guess what you would have come up? Not Bermuda grass. You would have K31. You'd have Kentucky 31 come up. If you had some pumpkin seeds that fell into the ground, guess what you would have come up? You wouldn't have a strawberry plant. You would have a pumpkin plant. Because whatever you sow, that is what you were going to reap. You can't get away from that principle. People say, well, that's just in farming. All right, well, look at verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. This so reap, this cause and effect principle applies to spiritual matters. You sow sin, you're going to reap sin. You sow a mocking attitude, mocking at God's truth, you're going to reap what you sow. You can't get away from it. And all of these fakers, these fake preachers, that are taking a marriage and they're trying to redefine it, they are going to reap what they have sown. We're seeing the consequences in our nation of what is happening when people are getting away from biblical truth and biblical foundation. It's a mockery of God's word. The consequences are dire. And this is why our nation is sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit of sin that they can't get their head out. They can't get enough air to breathe to see clean air. They're so deep into it. And this is why you turn on the news and you hear something or you read something and you say, how in the world? Well, I'll tell you how in the world. They're so knee deep into their consequences that they can't tell the truth from reality. And that's where we're at. Also in Galatians, there's three different ways the flesh is used. Let's go to Galatians 2. Look at verse 16. Galatians 2, the Bible says in verse number 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What is that definition specifically in verse 16? What is the no flesh? Well, that's all mankind. That's all humanity. Nobody before God's going to be justified in their flesh. So that's one way it's used. The flesh is used in Galatians. All mankind. Uh, look at verse number 20. Look at verse number 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I, the life I now live in the flesh, what is that? That's me, my life individually. That's me, my physical body. Let's look at it again in, in chapter 4 in verses 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh, 
I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despise not. What is that? That's a definition of our physical body, our personal physical body. And the third way the flesh is used in Galatians, turn over to chapter number five. It's the current nature of mankind. Chapter five, verse number 17. Look at that. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. The flesh lusting against the spirit. That's the nature of our flesh. In other words, what its character is, what it does. Look at verse 24. In the same chapter. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That's the nature of the flesh, all the affections and the lusts. So we th see three different ways that the flesh is used and defined in Galatians. It refers to all mankind. It refers to you and I individually, our physical body. And it also re re refers to the current nature or the characteristic of our physical bodies would be the flesh. What does it say in Galatians chapter 6? That out of the flesh will reap what? Corruption. What type of corruption? Absolute spiritual ruin. You follow after it, you're going to reap what you sow. And corruption has to do with a completely undesirable, abominable, horrible stench. Because sin stinks. It's why we bury dead things. An animal dies, you bury it. The body dies, it has to be embalmed. Why? To stop the smell, and then it's buried. Because of the horrible smell you know what god wants us to do with our sin bury it so don't stink up your life and anybody else's life it is why corrupt politics stinks and has a horrible stench to it it's corruption people hate corruption it smells What do we have today in America with our churches? An absolute apostate churches all over the place. All of them. Not all of them. But when you look at Benny Hinn, corrupt. Paula White, corrupt. Creflo Dollar, corrupt. Kenneth Copeland, corrupt. I guess a more biblical way to, to define it would be all the apostate churches are apostate. But... The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against God's church. So it doesn't mean good, true. It doesn't mean there are not good, true Bible believing churches out there. There are They're typically smaller in number. Man, how many do we have? that have just gone astray. It stinks. It's corruption. As a believer, you and I sow to the flesh and all its desires. We're just going to stink. We're going to have spiritual corruption, and it will be our spiritual ruin. 
pride, you could say, is the root of all sin. It, it, it's corrupt. It smells. Power trips, this look at me popularity contest, all of this to try to get preeminence. All of that is sowing to the flesh. It's spiritual corruption. It smells. Anything at the expense of biblical truth is corrupt, basically. Do you see something? You have to make a decision. Is it at the expense of biblical truth? Will it be at the expense of my spiritual health? If it is, bury it. Get rid of it. First Corinthians chapter two, verse number two says, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what the problem of the Pharisees was? They were certainly righteous outwardly, but inwardly they were corrupt. And Paul is trying to bring to light the odor of the whole thing and get them to smell what he's stepping so that they can see and smell it for themselves and say, you know what? I don't want any of that. That's that's corruption. And this pharisaical teaching, it will only reap fleshly corrupting results. It won't reap anything of benefit. And people say all the time, what good does that do? Well, if, it, if I'm sowing to the flesh and it's going to reap corruption, why do I want that to be the result? This is why a lot of churches have turned to all of these different pragmatic programming so that they can get results. But if it's fleshly results, if you're sowing to the world, if you're sowing to the flesh, all that's going to result out of that is corruption. Very little, if any, good spiritual truth or results are going to come out of that. And it's so easy to look at what's going on and say, well, we don't have as big a church as them, so we're not successful. Or we don't have this, so we're not successful. And we compare to others, but a lot of times when you look at the others, you need to look at what is the fruit that is being reaped. Is it spiritual? Oh, okay. If it is, then we want to model after that. Was it sown to the flesh and it's just corrupt? Oh, okay. We don't want to model after that. You can look at something and say, okay, that was successful. But now ask, why was it successful? If the Lord was in it, shoot, let's model it. Let's glean some insight from it. Make sense? All right, that's the negative. Now the positive. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. Now that's quality of life. That's quality of life. Galatians chapter 6. Verse number 8 in the middle. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. When you're sowing seed, anything in your life, sow with an eternal an everlasting perspective. The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The contrast that we have here is pretty good in, in verse number eight. You've got corruption and you've got life. 
You sow to the flesh, it's going to reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. Which one do you want? There's the negative contrasted with the positive. Again, you got to ask yourself, I'm sowing something. What am I sowing to? Flesh or the spirit? You can't say, it wouldn't be right for us to say, well, no harm would come of this. No effect would come from this cause. No reaping would come from this sowing. No, that principle is true. What you, you and I have to ask ourselves is, what are we sowing to? The flesh or the spirit? Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing, but in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Thinking of Private Alley Kermit Allison of the U.S. Army, killed in action in World War II, just 10 days short of his 20th birthday. You talk about a family being weary. You talk about a season of weariness. Airman First Class, Van Buren Nickens Jr., he was on a journey home from Christmas when his plane was crashed and 88 were killed. You want to talk about being weary. 88 families expecting someone to come home for the holidays and they don't show up. That's a wearisome time. Our friends and families really don't need our tears at funerals. <laughs> they need our hugs and our care and our laughter while they're alive because life is short. Life is short. And then it's gone. James 4.14 says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. There's probably not a good chance you're going to step on a landmine. There's probably not a good chance that you're going to you're going to have your plane shot down. There's probably not a good chance that you're going to have to get in your speedboat and res rescue someone that's in a boat that's being attacked. There's a pretty good chance that isn't going to happen to you. I can almost say emphatically it won't happen to you. But there's nothing to say that you won't get in a car crash when you leave. There's nothing to say that a drunk driver on a Friday night is not going to run a stop sign and kill you. There's nothing to say that you won't get the 19 and be in the hospital on a ventilator and that might kill you. There's nothing to say that the regular flu won't kill you. There's nothing to say that cancer won't kill you. There's nothing to say that you can get caught in the crossfires of some crazy shooter. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom this morning. I'm trying to give you the reality that Life is short. You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know what's on the morrow. That's why we say, Lord willing, we'll see you next service, Lord willing. We don't know when our life's going to end. What have you sown? What have you sown? When you go to be with the Lord, if you're saved, you go to be with the Lord. Is your whole life going to be burned up? 
meaning your works, your works. There are going to be any rewards because of things you've done with for an eternal purpose. We're just going to cast them right at the feet of Jesus anyway. But what's the perspective? Is it everlasting life, the perspective? Or are we too busy sowing to the flesh? And I understand the reality. There are Bible-believing churches that are adamantly opposed to gimmicky Christianity and pragmatic result-getting and man-centered worldliness. There are many churches throughout our nation and throughout our world that adamantly stand opposed to that. The reality is, and I know this reality as well as you do, we get little results. You know why that's discouraging? Because we live in a results-based society. And people and the world and family, friends, look at you as a failure. I understand that. Because we are in a results-driven, media-based society. But success brings stress when defined by the world's definition. Because it's always more. It's always bigger. It's always a, a standard or a definition that has to be bigger than what you've got. It's overwhelming. See, some of these business people, they have very largely successful businesses. You know what that takes? A lot of hard work. You can't beat the work ethic. Talk about hustle muscle. They've got it. But how many planets do we need to go to? How many millions do we need to make? How many billions do we need to make? Millions not enough, two million. Then a billion's not enough. You need half a billion or, or, or two billion. Stressful. Never ends. This is why you and I must define success as God does. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know why people give up? People, by and large, give up because they keep looking at how far they have to go, still go. Well, I still got to go this far. I still got to get this done. I still got to get all this to happen. They're just stressed out. They never stop and look back and say, look how far the Lord has brought us. Look how far the Lord has brought me. That's why people give up. They don't know how to look back and see how far that they have actually gotten. And it's just like farming. You sow a crop, you're going to reap a harvest. And the same in the spiritual. You sow a spiritual crop, you are going to reap a spiritual harvest. But here's the key. It's not on your timing. It's on God's timing. That's why people that had to farm back in the day in the agricultural industry. They were sowing all the time and reaping all the time. But who did they have to trust? God to send the rain. God to send the sun. God to provide the results. When? In his time. 
meaning you might not get a crop this year. It might be a small crop. It might be an abundant crop. Who are you trusting? It's God. God's timing specifically is what we're keying in on. It's all God's timing. And watch what it says. Watch what it says. At the end of verse number nine, look at it. If we what? If we faint not. In other words, don't stop sowing. I just want to give up. No, don't. Stop looking at how far you still have to go and just keep sowing. If you don't, you're going to reap. And watch this last verse. Watch this verse. This is the final exhortation this morning that the Bible gives us to help us get rid of the I quit mentality. Well, I just quit. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Don't quit. You have opportunity. Let us do good. Larry Conley and James Lewis of the U.S. Navy. Jose Garcia of the U.S. Marines. Ricky Medlin and Kermit Allison of the U.S. Army. Van Buren Nickens of the U.S. Air Force. They all took special care of each other. They did good unto all men, you could say. All of us as Americans, the good that they did, the sacrifices that they made, we reap the benefits. As countrymen, as fellow countrymen, we share and we reap the benefits of those men and women. But especially their own. These are men that gave their lives for their own. Their own semen on a boat. How do you do that? Here's how you don't do it. With the I quit mentality. I didn't say the I quit action. Because there's a difference. Yes, your actions will follow your thoughts. But a lot of people just have the mentality of, I quit. And if that's your mentality, then it's over. I quit. God says, as we have therefore opportunity, look around, there's opportunity all over. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Have we received salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. We have. Should we do good unto all men? We certainly should. But let us take care of our own. Let us be diligent in doing good unto the household of faith. After all, Jesus saved us. He put us into his body. He is gathering us here today with freedom to do it. Let's be. Let's be sure to especially unto them who are of the household. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.